0: Maloni, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Kotoku Kokoroi, Hoki.
1: Coming up first. I am so proud to be part of Aotearoa New Zealand today and I'm really proud that the government is, is standing up for this. Environmental groups in New Zealand welcome the
0: government's stance on deep sea mining also.
1: At
2: the moment police are on the ground. Uh, Alotao police are on the ground and they're awaiting reinforcement from
0: Mosby. Death toll from the Papua New Guinea massacre and the Trobrian Island rises to 24 with over 100 people injured and later on.
3: Everything is uh, too costly here in Fiji so people are struggling.
0: As we await the announcement of an election date in Fiji we ask some members of the public for their views on the upcoming election and the future of the country. Environmental organisations and groups in Aotearoa have welcomed the New Zealand government's decision to back a conditional global moratorium on deep sea mining. The New Zealand Foreign Minister, Nanaya Mahuta, announced the government's position, saying the scientific knowledge of the deep ocean remains extremely limited. The government's position is that mining should not commence until the International Seabed Authority creates a strong legal framework backed by science that will ensure environmental protection for the marine environment. Greenpeace Aotearoa is calling this change from a previously neutral stance, a win for the ocean and people power, and a vital step to protecting the ocean. Joining me is Greenpeace Aotearoa seabed mining campaigner James Hita. Nisambo Bolivinaka, welcome back on Pacific Waves. Let's start with your initial reaction to hearing this announcement.
1: Yeah, it's just been, um, like it's been a really awesome day. Like, you know, waking up this morning, seeing a beautiful bright blue sky in in Auckland and Tamaki and then having this hui with the minister expecting, you know, some developments but not quite expecting like a full position and like a really, really strong one at that. So I'm, I'm so proud to be part of Aotearoa New Zealand today and I'm really proud that the government is, is standing up for this.
0: What exactly are, the, are they? What is the
1: position here? Yeah, so the, the position around like a conditional moratorium, uh, in layman's terms, it basically means they've set out a guideline for uh, a, a precautionary pause, taking a step back, saying, slow down, we can't do this at the speed that these companies are asking us to go at. Uh, so it's a really good signal and a really good move toward, um, you know, bringing that process back, especially considering, you know, we may see at the moment, we may see deep sea mining in July of next year.
0: Uh, it comes at a um, uh, uh, quite a good time as well, going back into the International Seabed Authority meetings. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. It means that. The New Zealand government
1: can stand in the International Seabed Authority, uh, international fora with other countries, listening to them to have this really strong position. And we know from what the government has said that they are intending to call on other countries to join that position, to say, let's all slow down here and let's make sure that uh, any work that we do moving towards mining regulations, that they're based in really strong and robust science.
0: The New Zealand position is also um, founded on local experiences and local court cases and trials. Is it, um, if you can just explain a bit about the local context for this, that sort of, I guess, guiding it and uh, positioning this international stance now.
1: Yeah, so we are in a, a very a good position to speak about deep-sea mining and seabed mining because it's been through such a long process in Aotearoa. The Environmental Protection Authority have reviewed it, initially allowed it, and uh, organisations like ourselves and hapū and iwi uh, opposed it uh, at all three of the courts, uh, the High Court, Court of Appeal and Supreme Court, And all three found that there would be material harm caused by seabed mining. So we can share that experience and that journey with our international partners, other Pacific nations, uh, to actually inform the international positions of of those people, especially, I think, uh, for us, Australia. Australia is really key, and we hope that this move will mean that the government uh, puts pressure on them to join our call for a moratorium, uh, and it makes sense since they've already banned it in two states across the ditch already.
0: Now, um, again, putting things in perspective globally, great news here in Aotearoa, but still a long way to go in the ISA and for the countries and the companies that are Pacific countries driving driving this push to mine.
1: Yeah, I think this shift really signals the the change in the seas that we've been seeing across Timuana and York, You know, We have Tuvalu shifting uh, to rescind or or take back their sponsorship of the license. Uh, we've seen the announcement of the Moratorium Alliance by Palau and Samoa and Fiji, plus you know really strong comments from other nations around the world like the like France. Uh, so with Aotearoa on board, I. I see no future for this industry. it's a really destructive industry uh, and the the days of uh having no position or sitting on the fence are coming to an end and i, I see hope for for change from this
0: thank you so much, James, for your time. I uh, appreciate you speaking with us today.
1: Nga mahi
0: In Papua New Guinea, the official death toll from a massacre on Monday has risen to 24, with more than 100 people injured. The only practicing doctor for Kiriwina Island, which is northeast of Port Moresby, Giordobu Tosieru, says three medic camps have been set up in different areas across the island. He says he was in Alotau around a 21-hour ride on a fast boat from the island when the violence broke out. Dr. Tosieru says two of the injured are unstable due to blood loss and two more have sustained chest trauma and may require transfer to a hospital in the mainland. He told Lydia Lewis it's a stressful exercise. He is managing the response remotely over the phone and resources are strained.
2: What's happening now is that the war has ended um, since the day that the war erupted. And um, the district health services has allocated three teams uh, to attend to the, um, the victims of the war, particularly those who have sustained injuries. At the moment, police are on the ground, uh, Alotau police are on the ground, and they are awaiting reinforcement from Mosby uh, to be able to keep the community uh, secure, as well as do investigations into what actually uh, happened on the island.
4: When you say uh, attending to the injured, how many people are injured and how severe are the injuries?
2: Uh, basically, uh, they've set up three, three camps. One camp is uh, attending to just minor cases and they've actually managed about 128 uh, minor injuries, cuts and lacerations. In that location, there are three major, uh, 12 major injuries or seriously uh, injured, but they're stable. And uh, the other two locations, one location is actually managing about seven cases, which are severely injured cases. Uh, And the other location is managing eight cases. This is to uh, kind of uh, segregate those uh, war infections so that there is no tension where the management is. So, with the eight cases that uh, that are managed in one location, apart from the the major location where they are managing minor injuries and those who present, six are stable. They are recovering after uh, being attended to by health workers. There's two cases. One is a abdominal penetrating wound, and there's a chest trauma, uh, penetrating chest injury. So, they are the ones that may require transfer to. uh, tertiary Hospital, like Alotau uh, General Hospital, in the other location where the other seven are managed, two are uh, seriously, uh, severely injured, and they apparently, according to ground staff, they are a bit unstable uh, because of uh, blood loss, but they are managing, and hopefully they will uh, manage to uh, <clears throat> to transfer to Alotau uh, General Hospital. Uh, the other five. Actually, have been uh, attended to and uh, they they have uh, been discharged. Uh, although they are they are major lacerations, they are not life threatening. So at the moment, we we're just uh, kind of waiting and um, seeing what the police are doing uh, while we are attending to those um, those casualties, uh, those who have been injured. And, uh, so far, as uh, a total number of deaths confirmed is 24.
4: Police, can you tell me the names of the three camps no, um, where the injured are? So there's Camp 1 where there are 120 minor injuries. Where, where is that camp situated?
2: We just near Lusia Station, Lusia Township.
4: The second camp where there are... T- uh,
2: there's uh, there's uh, Kirwina North Kirwina. At Oberia and um, South Kiruna at Sinaketa. North Kiruna is the is the the quiet place where where there is no war, no uh, no confrontations, nothing going on. It's peaceful. And one of the health facilities is Oberia 8 Post, and the district health services is using it to actually cater for uh, one of the factions. Uh, that's the worst. West the um, north-westerly uh, section of the group called Kuboma.
4: And in South Kiriwina?
2: South Kiriwina at Sinaketa is actually attending to the uh, region involved in a fight known as Kulumata. Uh, Loxia Health Centre has been has not been, has been closed to the, um, to attending to war infections because of the the sensitivity and attention. So it's only serving the normal, uh, delivering normal service, health service to the communities. Okay. Other communities, yes.
4: Can you please confirm that this is all accurate? So there were six deaths from Kavataria village.
2: Yes. Eight That's right. from
4: Yalaka village.
2: Affirmative.
4: Six from Bwetalu village. Yes. One from Luya village. Village, yes. Two from Wabutuma.
2: And one, one from Gumila Baba. Kawataria is the Kulumata faction. Yes,
4: yes, yes, Kawataria, yes. Kawataria,
2: that's the other group. And Kuboma is the other, how many villages that, that are towards the northwest.
4: Yes, 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 yes. Okay.
2: So Kawataria is actually the v- bigger village within Kulumata that's involved in the in the war against yes. Kuboma, uh, comprising of uh, Gumilababa, Wabutuma, Yalaka, Luya, and um, l- yes, yes, I think uh, Luya, Luya, Yalaka, Wabutuma, and Gumilababa.
4: Thank you for that, for confirming that. Is there any other information that you would like us to get accurate? Because people have been reporting different things. Yes. What else?
2: Uh, this uh, is about reinforcement of the police. They're, the local Alotao police have been deployed and they are waiting on the Pomosby um, police for reinforcement. Uh, they was supposed to touch down on the island as of yesterday. I am yet to confirm that. But in the meantime, the district administrator and the police are on the ground addressing the communities involved, concerned, and then eventually police will get into doing their official investigations.
0: On to Fiji now. The clock is ticking with less than a month to go before the deadline for the writ of election to be declared. Pressure is mounting on government to make the announcement. Political parties have called out Prime Minister Frank Bainimarama on the delays and secrecy around the date of the election. They say it's now a matter of urgency to inform Fijians about the upcoming general elections so they can be better prepared to exercise their democratic rights. We spoke with some members of the Fijian public about the upcoming election. Our reporter Rachel Nath has the story.
5: According to Section 59 of the Fijian Constitution, the writ of election shall be issued by the President on the advice of the Prime Minister. The latest the Fijian election can be held is the 9th of January next year. This means the last day on which the writ of election can be issued is next month. That is Saturday, the 26th of November, to be exact. Now, we've been asking some Fijian citizens what they think about the upcoming elections.
6: Everybody is feeling that, why are we having the elections? Most people are questioning why should the elections carry on when most of the people here in Fiji uh, are not prepared for it, you know? We really need to go through and to know what are the uh, motives of the the government of the day or the party that we are voting for, you know? Like, there's nothing exactly that's out in media which we will know, oh yes, we will vote for these people, we we'll get these advantages. You know, there's nothing else thought. And like people are just, I would say people are still hidden from the reality of what's coming in the election.
3: We're expecting change, but the first thing is we, we're not sure if it's happening or not, because there's no confirmation of dates. And the people, uh, we're still acting, and uh, we're hoping that uh, the, the election will... Happen before Christmas. I mean, it's too late to prepare. Maybe early next year, that would be best for us. Give us more time to decide which party we want to choose for the next government. The government is doing well, but we. There's a lot of mixed feelings eh, amongst the people, but we
7: don't know. Eh? Um, for me, I think it would be nice if uh, the elections office would have already announced uh, the date of elections. And uh, it hasn't, like in previous elections, it was announced much more earlier so that um, the members of public are much more informed with their decision of electing the next government. In fairness, basically, normal elections should be, should be free and fair.
2: That's, that's all I'm expecting.
5: We also asked if they would like to see continuity or change going forward for Fiji.
6: People have actually lost hope in all of these things for the past few years. It's just because we don't um, know the real, the reality of what, what we will see after the election. Uh,
3: a lot of people going for change, but myself I'm not sure. Eh? I don't know. Really. I'm not okay, sure, I don't know. I think for any organisation it's better to have terms so when you have six-year terms, it's better to have a change in uh, leadership in order for new ideas to come in. Bringing new people will bring in new ideas and uh, how we can move things forward. There's nothing wrong with the current ones, but uh, like for any organization, it's better to just have a, a term. After that, we have a change in people, change in leadership, change in management. At least we can have some new thoughts on how to to run the organization or even the country. i
7: actually like to see change uh, because uh, I've seen how uh, things are with the current government and it'll be nice to have uh, change. For me, I would prefer,
2: I mix out both, maybe a multi-party government.
5: And finally, we asked, regardless of who wins, what policies would they like to see from the country's next government?
6: We would like to see changes, you know, especially helping people that is uh, that is living with poverty. I would say the people that are less fortunate, since, uh, I mean, COVID nineteen, people have been, you know, lost their jobs and all this, and now things are getting back, but uh, not into our expectations, you know. And we feel that, uh, even though things are getting back, but it's never gone Fiji. It was
3: before. Everything is uh, too costly here in Fiji. So people are struggling. Uh, poor are getting poorer. Is there something to bring in or something to help grassroots people? But at the moment, the uh, the government are doing that at the moment. They're helping the people going back to agriculture, going back to land, to plant their own. But, uh, before it okay we haven't seen much much changes in that and we haven't seen a lot of support too
7: i think the main thing is uh, to be much more transparent with uh, the the things that they're dealing with i don't think there is uh, much transparency at the moment with the current government uh see in general terms policies i would
2: see i would i would prefer some some sort of a headway in the uh, ICT front maybe, some sort of uh, empowering Fijians to open up or invest in the IT side of things.
0: Tokelauan communities across Aotearoa have been celebrating their language and culture this week. Theirs is the final Pacific language on New Zealand's Pacific Language Week's calendar. At the 2018 New Zealand census, there were more than 8,000 people who identified as Tokelaon in the country, with nearly half living in the Wellington region. Susana Suisuiki spoke with musician Nathan Lopa, who was recognised as the Tokelauan Youth Champion at the recent Pacific Languages Strategy launch event at Parliament. Nathan Lopa began the Talanoa by sharing his personal connections to Tokelaon. Uh,
8: Maloni, Um Yep, so my parents, my mother uh is Samoan my father eti Lopa is uh Togilau. his father, my grandfather hail tilau Lopa uh is from the island of Atahu, and his parents are uh, Hetu and poluna Lopa my grandmother, my dad's mum, uh, the late Tahe Lopa, her parents are uh, Ngawaloha and Lihi, who hail from the islands of hakaho so I am half Samoan, half Tokelau.
4: You're especially chosen to be the Tokelau Youth Champion. You know,
2: with that recognition, what's expected from you in terms of language preservation?
8: Um, yeah, that was that was an honour that was uh, that I was bestowed uh, 2021, and with that comes the responsibility even before that Language Champion Award I, I had received um is that we are that generation where we need to start thinking of ways where we can innovatively um, our language in terms of, especially Togelau language, is in danger of being lost within the next 10 or so, 10 or 20 years. Uh It's a dying language and it's one that we need to think of uh, collectively as a people as to um how we can make sure that the language survives and thrives uh for the future generation of Tokelow. So uh, it's not a small task, uh it's a very important task but it's one that um that Tokelow needs to take collectively and all together um for our language to, to be present in the future. We are we are only stewards but we need to make sure that we know our language in order for us um to pass that down.
2: So in your opinion, what's been some of the challenges when it comes to maintaining the, lang- the language and culture, especially living in another country?
8: Um, as a New Zealand, uh, second generation born New Zealand and took alone in New Zealand, um, the being away from home is the main thing, um, not being surrounded by, you know, as Pacifica people, we don't, the land is more than just the land. Uh, the land is where our culture is rooted, and with that, our, our cultural identity is the main thing, which is language. And so uh being a part of the diaspora, being away from home is, is, is will always be the main thing, too. Um, the influences that we have living outside of our respective Pacific Islands, uh, we're just... Um, not born and raised in the generation and the environment that our grandparents, who do speak fluent Dogerlo, were raised in as well. Um, we're raised in a Western society, uh, and that's just the way life is. And um, with these challenges, is trying to find ways that um, hey, how do we adapt and how do we learn in the environment and the society that we live in today, because it's very different to the ones. Um, to the generation of those who speak fluent Tokelau, mm. so,
2: and what so? What's your favorite Tokelauan proverb, and why? How have you applied that proverb in your life journey?
8: Oh, she's You know, I don't have one favorite one, um, but if you look in the if you look at all Tokelauan alangakupu along. Akupu, along if you lay them all out on the table they are they all are either about fishing um and you are why 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 talk a lot with um they are they the, the problems around fishing because if you it's the idea of providing um and so um providing for the future um and and providing what we need and i think. From the skill set of tolan we are master fishermen, and we know how to sail the seas with minimal. We know how to um get from a to b without a map and so um i i really can't answer that question because i, I have <laughs> there there are so many, and they are similar to uh sam up as well it's always about um the land they' always Metaphorically speaks about the land and how everything works together uh, as one.
0: That's specific waves for today. Remember, you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us.